Let's, let's look at the context. So, um, as you see, verse 19, so Jesus said to them, who, who is he talking to here? Just look back a couple of verses. Uh, verse 16, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, my father is working up until now and I am working and that's why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So it's the Jews who are persecuting, who are wanting to kill him that now that Jesus is speaking to here. Uh, they're upset because he was working and he was teaching others to work on the Sabbath. Remember, pick up your mat and walk. That's giving him work to do. But then one step up is he's claiming authority to do what only God is allowed to do, which is to break the Sabbath. According to their traditions, they said, well, God, God is the only one who's allowed to work on the Sabbath because if he'd stopped working, then creation would cease to exist. Yeah, yeah. So they, they said he's, he's rested from his work of creation, but he continued his work of providence and sustaining. Yep. Uh, and because he called God his own father. Not just our father, but my father. Um, and that's linked to that idea of work because, um, the son, you know, in human context, in those days, the son is apprenticed by the father. So, um, you know, my father is working in the carpentry workshop and I'm joining him and I'm working in the carpentry workshop too. It was kind of the image being portrayed there. Was Jesus actually breaking the Sabbath? Well, only according to the traditions that said, here's all the things you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath, including picking up and carrying something in a public place. Um, so they were wrong in that Jesus was breaking the Sabbath. So that, that should shape our, our reading of when they see that he's making himself equal to God. So in the sense uh, they, how would I put it, um, Jesus' response to their wanting to kill him because he's trying to make himself equal with God is, uh, a yes and a no. Like they're, they're right in that he is putting himself on that level, but they're wrong in the way that they're thinking about it. Because for a Jew, Yahweh is the only true God. There's only one God, Yahweh. So if you make yourself equal to God, you are setting yourself up as a rival or competing God. So you're uh, they would have seen it as him advocating, uh, what's the word? Um, not tritheism. Well, even, even, uh, to be, even to be the same God, but a different way that that God appears. That, that's like that's like Aaron saying, "Hey, this this golden calf, this is the God who led us out of Egypt." Yeah. No, even even trying to advocate mm. worship of the same God, but a different picture of that. Picture, that yeah, God. yeah. So, so it was, it was blasphemy and it was, it was an attack on their confession. The Lord is one. So it is not rival competing gods and there's not, uh, God is not kind of split into different 
manifestations or ways of expressing himself is the way they would think of it. Yeah. 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 In that in that sense, yeah. As as the son, he didn't. His. It's not that he wasn't equal with the father, but he didn't see it as something to grasp hold of as his right. Instead, he was willing to. Yeah, he was willing to receive it as a gift from the Father rather than say, I'm the Son, it's my right to have divine power and authority. And, yeah. um, so in the Old Testament, you know, there are obviously are gods, little g gods, which are presented uh, either as just the creation of man's imagination. So a man goes into a forest and gets a bit of wood and thinks up something and makes it. Um, but they're, and they're also presented at times as real spiritual beings, so demonic beings who masquerade as gods, try to claim godhood. Um, uh, Don Carson, in his commentary on John, points out that there were four, in, four people in the Old Testament who made themselves out to be God or equal to God and they all came under judgement. Pharaoh... Joash, Hiram and Nebuchadnezzar. The references are there in the, in the notes. So, what they're accusing Jesus of being like these men in the Old Testament uh, to set themselves up as a rival, as an opponent to the true God. Jesus' answer is, you're right in saying I'm claiming to be equaled with God but the way you understand it is wrong. Let me explain, in a sense, is what he says, although it's more than just that, it's a, what he now says is a, uh, ends up being a word of judgment upon them. So, Jesus here actually gives us the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, if you ever hear the idea that the doctrine of the Trinity was only invented in the 4th century, um, take them to passages like John 5, say, well, hang on, Jesus here is talking about the Father and the Son, uh, who are one as God, yet uh, he's talking about the relationship and what differentiates them as persons. Um, so, what, uh, as we go through this, it's, it's quite heavy going, uh, but if you find it too heavy, then um, sort it out with Jesus, because they're his words, Okay. Uh, we'll see if we can uh, get the heart of what it is that he's saying here. Um, what Jesus talks about here is uh, not I'm equal with God, I'm a rival opponent to Yahweh, but there is in God, the Godhead, there is a father and a son and there is a relationship between the two uh, which theologians describe as the functional subordination of the Son to the Father. Now, it's not, it's not subordination in essence. It's not that the Son is slightly less God than the Father is. It's, func- it's functional in terms of how they relate to one another and how they act as Father and Son. So, see in verse, verses 19 to 20, the Son can do nothing 
of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing for whatever the Father does that the Son does likewise. We might read that face value and think, oh, the Son can do nothing. The Son is limited in his ability or he's, he's, uh, he's less able than the Father. It's not, so it's not a statement of the inability of the Son but of the inseparability of the Son and the Father in their actions. In other words, uh, an illustration would be if you invite me to your party and I respond by saying I cannot come to your party, that could mean um, I'm sick and I'm physically unable to get to your party or something is, means I, I, it's impossible for me to get to your party or it could mean uh, I'd already lined up something else on that night and so I'm choosing not to come to your party uh, because I have other priorities and they take greater priority than your party and so or it could mean I don't like you and if I came to your party it would be awkward but I would still say I cannot come it's not, uh, it's not my inability, it's, it's the relationship. Right? If, I had a, if I had such a close relationship with you and you said, come to my party and I would drop everything to say, I love this person so much, I will come to your party. It's the relationship that's being expressed there. Um, and that's, that's what's happening here. See verse 20. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. See, So the, the reason why the Son cannot do anything on his own but only what the Father shows him is because the Father loves the Son. There's this relationship of love between Father and Son. Um, that means you, it's a package. If you have the Son, you have the Father. If you have the Father, you have the Son. You can't have one without the other. Now, why does the son do whatever he sees the father doing? It's because, yeah, the father loves him. A willing submission to the father's authority expressed in love. So, the son's obedience to the father, it doesn't make him inferior or less God. It's, it's purely a authority hierarchy based on love and relationships. That explains... Uh, what he says back in 17, doesn't it? My father is working until now and I am working. Jesus' healing of the lame man was him working with the father in his ongoing work since creation. And then he says in verse, the second half of verse 20, and greater works that these will show him so that you may Marvel, things that more clearly open up the glory of Jesus as the Son of the Father. And there are two ways that Jesus talks about, in a sense, that uh, this happens, how we see the Son and the Father working together, ultimately so that we may marvel, so that we may see and believe. Uh, The first is uh, participation, and the second is delegation. Now, they're my, they're my words. They're not the official theolo- theological terms. I don't know what, what they use in the theology books, but it's just something that, 
struck me as I looked at verses 21 and verse 22. So verse 21 says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So you've got the Father and the Son and both together, working together, participating together, they give life. Uh, The Son from his essence of who he is as the Son the Father from his essence as who he is as the Father. Um, they have equal authority to give life, to raise the dead. Then with delegation, you've got the Father and uh, here notice how Jesus uh, in verse 21 is the Son and the Father. Um, where are we? Um, Oh no, it's later on, sorry, we'll get to that. But um, the Son, in terms of his incarnation as the Son, as his um, title, the Son of Man, the incarnate Son of God, the Father appoints the Son as the judge. You know, so by raising him from the dead, he's appointed him as the judge of all creation and so the Son is the one who judges but he does it with a delegated authority that he's received from the Father. So, you know, the, the Father um, judges no one, but he's delegated that authority. Um, the Son does it on behalf of the Father. And what's the goal of this all? Verse 23, so that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. So you Jews... You say you believe in God, you say the Shema, you say that you honour God. Well, if you truly honour God, you must also honour his Son because all of his glory to the Father comes through the Son. So, uh, this, is, this is, so the heart of Trinitarian theology is God is not just God up there. God is Father, Son and later in John's Gospel he brings out the Spirit in John chapter 16. God didn't become a Father merely through creation. So Israel would talk about God as being Father of the nation, our Father, but was he a Father before he chose Israel or before he created the world? Well, he was. He's always been the Father because he's always eternally had an only begotten Son. Um, so always being the Father and the Son. Does that kind of fit together? Yeah. Um, so secondly, the implications of the doctrine of the Trinity for life and for judgment. The next section, Jesus says, well, if you... Hear my word and believe him who sent me, you will have eternal life. And I think there when he says hear, um, you know, again back in the Old Testament, the Shema, Shema means hear, but it's not just hear words audibly, it's hear with the intention of believing and obeying. That's what hear, O Israel means we're in relationship with this God and when he speaks it flows out into, into actions. So he's basically claiming here 
the Shema applies to me. Hear my word, O Israel, and if you believe, hear my word, you, you will be honouring the Shema to honour and hear Yahweh, your God. Um, so that means life is sorted because life is eternal If you believe him who sent me, you have eternal life, not just life here and now. And judgment is sorted out because you don't come into judgment because you've been brought into this relationship with with God. Um, So see, have I got the diagram there? I have in the notes. Um, Verses 25 to 30 kind of uh, flesh this out further. So see... As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And that actually clarifies this a bit. Why, why is it the Son can have, give life from himself? It's because he's eternally begotten. So he has life in himself because it's, he's received that from the Father. He didn't grasp it, he received it has been receiving it eternally, freely, as, as a gift from the Father. Um, and because the Father has life in himself and the Son has life in himself, that means an hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Because the Son has the authority to give life. So when he speaks, the dead are raised and given life. And then, so see how this is a chiasm uh, with the ideas in the middle and then the two ideas on either side. And so the second idea is if the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment, so he's appointed the Son to be the judge, because he is the Son of Man, so not just as the eternal Son but as the Son who is now incarnate, you know, become the, the last Adam taken on human flesh. Because of that then, verse 28, 29, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. So now he's speaking of the future resurrection and it will be the resurrection of judgment. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So the Father has appointed the Son and because of that there will be a judgment carried out by the Son himself. So the first first one is in the present, isn't it? I say to you an hour is coming and is now here already. People are hearing Jesus' words, they're believing and they're receiving eternal life here in the present. So eternal life starts now when we hear Jesus' voice. The other one is in the future when Jesus literally physically raises the dead out of the graves and it will be that final judgement. So the Son of Man is uh, incarnate, an incarnate human being, representative of humanity, the last Adam. Therefore he's able to carry out the final judgement by his voice. Um, so uh, just trying to work out where I am in my notes here. And then then we get to verse 30, which is, so should be, I think the heading for the next section should actually start verse 31, 
can see how verse 30 is kind of a bookend where he repeats what he says in verse 19. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. In other words, I'm not doing my own thing, I'm doing what the Father shows me. I'm working with him and uh, under him. So, yes, I am equal with God, yet it's not two gods. And it's not two manifestations of God. It is one God who is a community of love in which the Father sends the Son and the Son willingly submits his will to the Father's will. Um, And as I said, you might say, well, what about the Spirit? Well, Jesus chooses to teach us about the Spirit later on, about that in John chapter 16. And then we, we see the whole working together of the three persons of the Trinity. Thirdly, so what then are the implications of this? If this is who God is, Father, Son and Spirit, we know because we've read the rest of the book, uh, working together, the Father sending the Son, delegating authority to the Son, what does that mean then for those who believe, who come to believe in Jesus? Well, if the Father and Son are united in these works of giving life and judging, then we should expect that they're also united in bearing witness or testifying, making a proclamation that requires people to believe, to accept what they're saying. So he says uh, similar kind of words, isn't it? In verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. The son doesn't do anything on his own accord. There is another who bears witness about me and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true, the the father. So the father and the son are working together in uh, making the truth known. Um, And to show that the father's testimony that he mentions there is supreme, he gives us this hierarchy of witnesses which you see in that table there. Uh, So... The first witness that he refers to, verses 33 down to 35, is a human witness, John the Baptist, uh, who, as we've heard, John the Baptist constantly testified to Jesus, pointed away from himself, pointed to Jesus. Um, And notice the reason why Jesus mentions John the Baptist as a witness. Why why does he say John the Baptist is a witness that you need to pay attention to? Yeah, yeah. But Jesus says, doesn't he, I don't need I don't, don't actually need human witness human testimony but there's a reason why John yeah 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 but what why all that I mean why why didn't Jesus just come and say here I am out of the blue here I am I'm I am the son of God and you must believe my testimony 
uh, without any prophetic leading up to it, any preparation. Why? Why? Yeah. And why did why did he why did God send him? And why did Jesus here particularly why did Jesus appeal to John the Baptist's testimony even though he doesn't need human testimony? Verse thirty four. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, in other words I don't I don't need man's testimony. But I say these things so that you may be saved. Remember he's, who he's speaking to? These are the guys who have picked up stones to, to kill him. He still wants these men, these Pharisees, these scribes, whoever it is, to be saved. Uh, and so he's saying, you know, you, you, you like John the Baptist's ministry, at least for a while. So listen to what he said because he, he testified to me. That's God's kindness, isn't it? That we have, you know, the, the thickest part of the Bible is all testimony pointing forward to Jesus. He didn't have to do it that way. He could have just turned up out of the blue with no forewarning, no prophecies, no preparation. But he graciously does all that is needed from our perspective to, to hear and to, to believe. So it's an act of grace and condescension that, that God uses human witnesses to testify to the truth. Uh, the second one up in this hierarchy is supernatural wit- wit- uh, witnesses. Verse 36, the testimony I have is greater than that of John, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. So the signs he's been doing so far, but not just the miracles, I don't think, it's just that. Uh, in fact, when he says the works uh, the Father has given me to accomplish, the word there for accomplish is uh, teleoi, which means complete, finish. It's the same word he used when on the cross he cried out, it is finished, it is accomplished. So he's not just talking about the miracles, he's talking about the entirety of his ministry. The words he speaks, uh, the, the miracles he performs, the doing good, everything that he does, his, even his act of self-sacrificial laying down his life, going to the cross, is all this whole body of work that he accomplishes, that he brings to completion. So they are bearing witness to Jesus. Um, The third witness is verse 37. The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. So there's human witnesses and they're good. There's the supernatural witnesses and the the works of Jesus and they're good, they're true, but supreme over all is the Father himself who bears witness to the Son. But the question then is, well, how is it that the Father has borne witness? How is it that these 
these men he's talking to are to hear the Father's witness to Jesus as the Son. Well, it's not by his direct voice, is it? Because he says, his voice you've never heard. Can't be that. Um, It's not a visible form or manifestation because he says, his form you have never seen. Uh, It's not even a an internal, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling or whatever, what, you know, what our Mormon friends say, the, you know, the, the warm feeling inside that makes you know that it's true. It's not even that, because you don't have his word abiding in you. What is it? How is it that the Father bears witness to the Son? Verse 39, through the scriptures, the Father has been speaking, has been bearing witness to Jesus from Moses onwards. Like I was saying earlier, all of this, right through the Old Testament, is all the Father speaking, bearing witness, pointing forward to Christ. All of the scriptures, Jesus said, are about him. So it's the Father speaking. Um, but he says, you've, the reason you don't believe is you've actually rejected that testimony. You search the scriptures, but they're actually the ones who bear witness about me. So you've, you've missed it. You refuse to come me that you, to me that you may have life. Uh, why have they rejected the testimony of the Father in the scriptures? Well, he goes on and says, well, you, you say... You say you want to glorify God or to receive glory from God alone, but what are, what are you actually on about? If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? They're more interested in receiving glory from one another. That's why they perform all of their righteousnesses out in public, you know, their phylacteries and when they fast, they cover their heads in ash and go out in public, they pray in public. It's all about getting the approval of one another and of men, isn't it, rather than the approval of God. Um, Even before Facebook. Facebook. Can you imagine the Pharisees if Facebook was there? You know, how many likes can I get? How many shares can I get of this prayer? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's right, yeah. yeah. That was how they operated, uh, which is the way you're going to operate if you're not secure in your relationship with God, if you're not sure if you're justified um, you, and you know no matter how hard you try, you can never be sure, then you, your focus is going to shift because one thing you can be sure of is whether human beings approve of you. So win everybody else's acceptance and approval and then you'll feel good about yourself and you'll feel like you're justified, but you're ignoring whether you're justified by God or not. That's why they rejected uh, God's word and didn't see Jesus in it. One last thing then right at the end. Uh, what we'll actually see on Sunday is that this, this passage gives a background, some background to the miracle of the raising of Lazarus. 
Uh, and there's a very interesting connection that happens in the Gospels. Um, so this, this is linked thematically, you know, raising the, it's the voice of the Son of God raising the dead with the story of Lazarus. Remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? It's, in, it's actually in Luke 16. It's the only parable where Jesus actually gives someone a name and it's the name Lazarus, the name of one of his good friends. And, uh, you know, so Lazarus in this parable is a poor man and then there's a rich man who, you know, doesn't look after Lazarus and um, they both die and the rich man is in Hades, in hell, um, and he looks up and there's Lazarus up in the embrace of Abraham, you know, accepted as one of Abraham's children and, you know, he's saying, oh, how, how do we solve this dilemma now and the gap is too big and all of this. And in the end, um, Moses, uh, the rich man says, well, at least... Um, I can't remember, if, does he ask if he or someone else? Send, send Lazarus back to tell my brothers so that they don't make the same mistake. And uh, Abraham says, well, no, they have Moses. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So I think that's why Jesus names this man Lazarus, because he's not actually, Lazarus wasn't necessarily a poor man financially, uh, he's, he often uses poor and rich to mean poor in relation to God or rich in relation to God, but here, here's a man who's poor in the eyes of the world, spiritually, and the rich man thought he was rich in the eyes of God, he was rich in the eyes of the world, and then the situation is reversed, as it often is. Um, I think that's why he was using Lazarus, because there's this link here, Verse 47, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And of course what we see in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and immediately after that the Jews make definite plans to crucify Jesus. So his point is proven. Even if a man is raised from the dead, you will not believe because you've already rejected the Father's testimony in the Scriptures about me.